Oh, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And it is an especially joyful thing for me to be here with all of you in this house of the Lord and to see so many familiar faces even as I look out at you now. I, I feel something in being here like Barnabas when he went to the church in Antioch in Acts 11. It says that he saw the grace of God and he was glad. And uh, I want each one of you to know that your participation in the life of this church fills my heart with great rejoicing, and I will be reporting back to the saints at Covenant Fellowship uh, the abundant grace of God that's present in your life together here. It was just a few months ago that Rick was at Covenant Fellowship preaching there, and he, prior to preaching, um, walked our congregation through pictures of this building that God has provided for you, and so all of the saints at Covenant Fellowship are rejoicing with you in God's provision, and we are praying for you that God continues to meet you and sustain you and bless you in every way. I personally have received so much just through this short time that I have been here with you, and so Dave, thanks for leading us in, uh, in singing, and Aaron, thanks for what you shared in terms of your testimony. Uh, these things fill my heart with joy, and I'm eager to share with you from uh, God's Word. Before looking at God's Word, I did want to just communicate a word about how grateful I am to God for your pastors in particular. Uh, Tim and Alex and Rick are dear brothers. To me, they are friends, and it's those kinds of relationships that, to me, what partnership in the gospel is all about. And I thank God for the mutual encouragement and edification that I receive from these brothers and all that we enjoy by way of fellowship and partnership together. Truly churches need each other. Truly churches are stronger together. And so I thank God for the partnership that we enjoy together. All right, let's look at Genesis 37. I'd like to invite you to turn there with me. Genesis 37 when I heard that there would be children present in the service today, I thought we're going with a narrative text. What story can I lean upon? And the familiar story of Joseph being thrown in the pit is what I want us to consider today. If you find yourself in the midst of difficult circumstances and are in need of hope, if you have been mistreated by others or perhaps have known the failure of love from others, this story ministers so much grace to our souls. We're, we're looking at a story, events that took place in the life of a 17-year-old young man. Uh, somewhat appropriate coming off of reset. Now, the thing to keep in mind, sometimes God resets us on His purposes by enabling us to be thrown into a pit so that we are brought into His purposes in a fuller and deeper way which we would not have been apart from those difficulties. And so to those who know present trials, even trials of many kinds, I pray that God's Word ministers refreshment and grace to your soul today. This is Genesis 37. Uh, in verses 1 through 11 is where Joseph has his dream 
uh, concerning his brothers bowing down to them. He tells his brothers about that dream, just a heads up to the kids. If you have a dream about your superiority to uh, your brothers, you don't want to tell them about that dream probably. You just sit on that, hold it to yourself. He tells his brothers, we're told in verse 11, that they were jealous of him. Uh, But his father kept the saying in mind. So let's pick up in verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Now his brothers, Joseph's brothers, went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams." But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain 
of the guard. May God bless the preaching of His Word. It turns out that people are not always kind, and sometimes that even includes siblings, our own brothers and sisters. Cinderella was forced to work in servitude in her own house, constantly tormented by her wicked stepsisters who were full of jealousy and contempt. You may remember in Home Alone, Buzz McAllister is the classic mean big brother who bullies Kevin. Jan Brady of the Brady Bunch, right, hates that her sister Marcia is so perfect, all of her awards and trophies. She says, it seems like every time Marcia turns around, they hand her another blue ribbon. And there's one scene where Jan says that all she ever hears is, Marcia, Marcia, Marcia. And as, actually, as Jan is struggling and, and uh, crying, sharing her struggles with her parents, there's one scene where Marcia, in that moment, bursts into the room and says, guess what? I've just been made editor of the school newspaper. And her mom then says to Jan, if you feel like you're always in Marcia's shadow, do something about it. Well, Joseph's brothers were fed up with him, and they certainly decide to do something about it. That's something they decided to do is to plot his death. Uh, and so we have a heavy theme here in the story of Joseph. Fratricide uh, enters the story. That is the sin of killing one's own brother or sister. It, by the way, is there in The Lion King, that family film featuring fratricide, because Scar wants the power and honor that his brother Mufasa has. He wants to be king of the Pride Lands. And so Scar is manipulative. He's deceitful. He's violent. He creates a murderous plot to kill his brother and leave his younger nephew Simba for dead. Siblings are not always kind. Leland Reichen, commenting on this chapter of Genesis, he actually says the entire book of Genesis specializes in sibling rivalry and dysfunctional families as a subject matter. But this chapter, chapter 37, seems to sink even lower than the others. What we have in this chapter is not a story of brotherly love. It is a story of brotherly hatred. What's the, you guys use neighbor love? This is not a story of neighbor love. This is a story of, of neighbor hatred, neighbor opposition. And the chapter is relevant for us in part because a failure of love continues to plague the world and plague our lives to this day. The reason that so many people are at war with each other is because we are at war with God. Humanity has rebelled against God and all of the, and you look around in this world and in your life, you see it everywhere, all of the tension and conflict and quarreling and violence we experience in a fallen world is the fruit of a severed relationship with God. God has important truth for us today about well, how we are to treat others and what it means to love one another. Sibling violence and murder goes all the way back to the beginning, the first family. It's the sin of Cain killing Abel in Genesis 4. The Apostle John in 1 John 3 uses the story of Cain to describe what we should all avoid and what we should pursue in the realm of love. 
He says that we should love one another, that we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. This is how we know we belong to Christ. We love the brothers. In 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18, it says, By this we know love, that He, Christ, laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And it says there, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We're called to a standard of love by God, and it should go without saying that the standard of love is higher than avoiding murdering others. Jesus says in Matthew 5 that it was said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or insults his brother will be liable to judgment. If you've been angry, if you have insulted, we are deserving of God's judgment. We have all fallen short of the standard of love. Christ has loved us by laying down His life for us. He's forgiven us of our lovelessness, and He now calls us and empowers us by His Spirit to love one another. Love those in your family. Uh, Children, love your brothers and sisters. Love your parents. Parents, love your children. In marriage, walk in love towards one another. Among friends, love one another. Love all those God has placed in your life. Now, readers of the Genesis narrative already know that Joseph's brothers are not nice. They're capable of murder. It's in fact, Genesis 34 is where Simeon and Levi massacre all the men in Shechem. So we've seen Shechem before, and they plunder the city there. Now, sometime later, Jacob is sending Joseph to that same place, to Shechem, to check on his brothers. He doesn't know it at the time, but he would not see his son for another 20 years. Joseph travels 50 miles north. It would have taken the better part of a week. And so we have this scene where he's wandering around the killing fields of Shechem far from home as a 17-year-old with brothers who are jealous of him. The music that's playing during that scene is not feel-good music. And Joseph then learns that his brothers went 12 miles further north to Dothan. It's in that moment that his brothers, and we can imagine this moment, they see Joseph coming from a distance. Hatred courses through their veins, cursing and clenching their teeth, they conspire against him. Man, here comes that arrogant little dreamer, mama's boy, daddy's favorite, the spoiled brat, skipping in his multicolored coat, the pampered gloat. His dream's a joke. Let's take a vote to cut his throat, throw his dead body in a pit, and see what dreams he has. It's at that point that Reuben intervenes and suggests that they just throw him in the pit. He hopes to rescue Joseph later. 
Joseph comes near, and tragically, they jump him like a mob. Sent by his father, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He too would have a garment taken from him and destroyed. He too would be sold for a price of silver. They tear off his robe, they treat him with violence, they throw him in a deep pit with no way of escape where Joseph lays bruised and bloodied. They will leave him there to starve. Here's a chilling scene where they, in verse 25, they sit down to eat, feasting, we imagine laughing, while Joseph cries out in panic and distress. Later in the narrative, chapter 42, verse 21, the brothers will say, we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. He begged them, Simeon, please, Levi, no, Zebulun, I am begging you. Cries that would haunt them for years. It started with jealousy. It started with Joseph rubbing them the wrong way. It started with the absence of kindness and love, and it led to plotting his murder. And so it should teach us that where there are smaller failures of love in our hearts, we must be vigilant in battling sin. We must be determined to put sin to death because what begins as irritability and unkindness and bitterness and jealousy leads to hatred and anger and deception and greed and hardening and violence. Get serious with putting the sin in your own heart and life to death. We all must do that. Now, it's when, it's at that point, there they're eating, Joseph's in the pit, the Ishmaelite spice traders and human traffickers pass by on their way to Egypt. Jo Judah is the one who then pipes up at that point over dinner. I imagine him still sort of energized by the brainstorming session they had about getting rid of Joseph. They're sort of brainstorming the different ways of possibly doing this. Guys, we don't benefit from killing him at all. Let's sell him. That way Joseph's gone. We get rich. His dreams are proven wrong. We're not going to bow down to him. The brothers agree. And so they take a bloodied robe home to their devastated father. And 17-year-old Joseph finds himself in Egypt, 200 miles from home, where he would be sold like property to the highest bidder in the slave market. The entire story is a magnificent one. We're dropping into one small section of it, but I commend to you a reading of the entire Joseph narrative for the edification of your soul. Now, I want to pause at this point and say, before we, just to draw a few lessons from this narrative, before we thank God that we are so much better than Joseph's brothers, it would be wise for us to humbly acknowledge that the same lovelessness is in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not rude or irritable. I recently failed in loving a brother in being rude, in being unkind, and needed to ask for his forgiveness. When we examine our own lives, we see our own lovelessness. We have all fallen short of God's standard and stand in need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And we should also allow this story of 
Joseph and his brothers to serve as an exhortation for what we are to put off and put on in our lives. God's calling each one of us to walk the path of love. That means put off the jealousy of Joseph's brothers and put on encouragement. When we are jealous, we start to struggle with people because of their possessions, because of their accomplishments. It's only in Christ that we can enter into the freedom of celebrating and rejoicing with others in their accomplishments and when they are blessed. Put off the retaliation of Joseph's brothers and put on forbearance. Right? It does seem that Joseph's telling of his dream to them and then once he knew it upset them, comes and tells them again, well, this isn't being the ideal sibling. But rather than meeting that with patience, they retaliated. When someone sins against you, when one of your brothers or sisters, to talk to the young people here, when they tattle on you, when they're bragging about something, any time that other people wrong us, that's a time for us to put on patience, for us to put on forbearance. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says that love covers a multitude of sins. Romans 12 calls us to bless those who wrong us, to repay no one evil for evil, to never avenge yourselves. There are things to put off. There are things to put on. Put off the assault of Joseph's brothers and stand against all violence and all abuse and resolve to protect the weak. Put off the cruelty of Joseph's brothers. Put on compassionate hearts. What is our heart's posture toward those who have less power, toward those who are suffering? Will we go on feasting while those in the pit of suffering cry for help? May it not be. May our hearts overflow with empathy and compassion for the hurting. Put off the deception of Joseph's brothers. Put on honesty. One commentator talks about how the robe of many colors began in deep love. That was the Father's love. It was torn in deep hate. And now it becomes the main tool for deep deception. Deception runs all the way through the Genesis story, all the way back to the serpent in the garden. It was in Genesis 27 that Jacob had deceived his father, Isaac, with his brother's clothing and a skin of, of a dead goat. Now Jacob is reaping what he has sown as he is deceived by his own sons, also involving, involving clothing and a goat. We're called to live a life of love. What does a life of love look like? Where do we see that? Well, not in Joseph's brothers, but in Jesus Christ. There is nowhere that love is more clearly displayed for us to behold in all of its glory than in the life and death of our Savior. In His great love, He drank the cup of wrath that we deserve, and He calls to us today saying, You are my beloved, therefore just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. In light of the gospel, what will our relationships be like? Be a people of love. Cultivate homes that are marked by this kind of neighbor love. Cultivate relationships in the community that are marked by the love that God calls us to. In doing so, we will avoid the negative example of Joseph's brothers and we will walk 
in the kind of love that God calls us to. This is part of, I know, the vision that Tim and your pastors have for what deeply marks this church. And it's one of the ways that you are able to be an example to many others as you are a community marked by affection, marked by encouragement. Let's outdo one another in showing honor. Let's give to the needy. Let's rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another so that a watching world sees and knows we are the people of Jesus Christ. God has given you His Spirit and He is empowering you to love even in hard places. All for the glory of His name. Now, one more thought that I want to add here. What if, like Joseph, there are those in your life who have sinned against you and have failed to love you as they ought? What if you find yourself in a pit through the mistreatment of others? The reality is we live in a world of mistreatment and injustice and lovelessness, each one of us knows unfairness and inequity and injustices. It could be that for some of us, the worst that has been done to us is relatively minor, but many others know tragedies where the hurts are great and where the scars run deep. In cases of abuse and violence, law enforcement must be involved. We never are to minimize the seriousness of any wrongdoing and any injustice. The question I want us to consider today from the life of Joseph is this, how will we respond? How will we respond? See, Joseph, when he was thrown in a pit, was a victim of oppression and he could have hardened his heart so easily. How many in their Joseph moment harden their hearts against God and against others. But it's not what Joseph does. He could have let anger and bitterness eat away at him over the years, especially as he is removed from them. But it's not what we find. He could have plotted revenge. He could have dreamed of returning evil for evil. He could have allowed himself to be controlled by the lies of self-pity and victimhood. But what we see in the story of Genesis is something different. It is one of the most powerful stories of forgiveness in all of Scripture. And what we learn is that the wrongs done against us do not need to enslave us. The harm done to you, yes, it's real. Yes, we are victims of wrongdoing in the hands of others. No, we don't minimize it. But the harm done against you does not need to define your life most deeply. Because of Christ, because of Christ, we can be empowered to be full of compassion and to love as we have been loved. Christ is full of compassion for us. He will never fail us. And therefore, you can, by the grace of God, find your way through great injustices, through great abuses, through moments of violence, and even experience peace in your soul through it all. You can find hope in the midst of systemic injustices and multi-generational 
hardship and communal suffering where there is a, a shared painful history and a shared bleak future. You can find hope in the midst of tragedy and hope in the midst of the wrongs others have done against you. Is it an easy road? No, it's not an easy road. It is not a short road. But Christ is strong and His grace is for you. He's there to help you. What will we do with our wounds? We even sang earlier about how friends may fail us, right? Listen, even your closest friend, even family may fail you. Even your closest friends may fail you. Even those in the church may fail you. What do you do with your wounds? You take them to Christ, the one who will never fail you. Knowing that the love of others may fail, just as our own love will fail, but that Christ abounds in His steadfast love for us. Jesus will never mistreat you. Jesus will never blame you for the wrongs done against you. Jesus will never say that your future has been ruined. Jesus will never stop working for your good. He's writing a story. He's writing a story in your life. And this is what the Bible is all about. You have to understand the Bible is not a book full of people who came from ideal family situations and good backgrounds and therefore because of that went on to be used by God in great ways. It is from the ashes of family dysfunction. It is from the ashes of sibling rivalry and sin and messiness and violence that God is at work that God raises up instruments to accomplish His glorious purposes. And it's what we see in the story of Joseph. One day, Joseph's suffering will turn to triumph. One day, the brother's sin will give way to repentance and reunion. One day, Jacob's sorrow would turn to joy and the people of God would be rescued in a way that none but God could plan. And so to those who are even now, to those who even now are at the bottom of a deep pit, I declare to you with all the authority of God's Word, your story is not over. Your story is not over. The love of Christ is deeper than the deepest pit. The love of Christ is stronger than all of the hatred in this fallen world. His love is sustaining us when we are not loved by others. His love is equipping us to love one another as He has loved us. And so by God's grace, we will endure. By God's grace, we will be a community of love and we will live as a community of love and flourishing, trusting in God's good purposes for us. This is God's calling upon Risen Hope Church May it be true for each one of you, brothers and sisters, whom I love dearly. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your word would bear fruit in our lives, and I do in this moment pray especially for those who find themselves in a deep pit of suffering through the mistreatment of others. Oh, Father, how we grieve with those who grieve. Lord, there are no easy words, there are no easy truths, there is no easy way forward in the path of suffering. And yet you, Lord, love us with a love that surpasses knowledge. You are near to us. You are with us even in the deepest pit. 
And so we ask that those brothers and sisters would feel your empowering presence with them even now. Lord, empower us to hope. Empower us to trust in you. Empower us to love one another with the love that you have for us. I pray for your blessing upon this dear community and upon the mission that you have called them to. May they be a bright light for Christ in this area and beyond for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.